Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel, broadcasting remotely. The presidential election is less than one month away, and it's an election season none of us will forget. The president has returned to the White House after being hospitalized with COVID, while his opponent, Joe Biden, is getting tested regularly. And this has all affected how they would normally campaign. Meanwhile, next month, Connecticut residents will vote in important congressional and Connecticut General Assembly races. But the pandemic has altered how these candidates, too, interact with the public. And there are plenty of questions about voting during a pandemic. Today, where we live, we ask Connecticut Secretary of the State Denise Merrill to join us for the full hour to answer our questions and yours. Here's the number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, this week, Connecticut Public Radio has begun its fall membership drive, and our show was slated to be shorter to accommodate pledge drives, pledge breaks, rather. But my producers and I felt it was important to give you as much time to hear from our chief elections official and take your questions. So we suspended the fun drive for this hour. You can still support Where We Live in Connecticut Public Radio with a pledge anytime at our website, WMPR.org. Now, I want to welcome back to the show on Zoom today, Denise Merrill, Connecticut Secretary of the state. Denise, welcome back. Thank you, Lucy. Good morning. So if I counted correctly, we're 28 days out until the election. There's a lot of questions still about the health of the president. Uh, more Americans will vote by absentee ballot than ever before. It leads to a lot of questions about voting. Can you describe the scene right now in towns across the state, uh, Secretary of the State Denise Merrill, as they prepare for a record number of ballots? Uh, it's, uh, shall we say, busy would be one word for it. Uh, you know, as you know, Connecticut was not really poised to do a huge volume of absentee ballots. And we've talked about this before. You know, we're very restrictive in Connecticut. We usually get about 5% of people who use absentee ballots, mostly because they're out of town on Election Day. Uh, this year, due to action by both the governor and the legislature, anyone is allowed to uh, requ request an absentee ballot based on the uh, fear of COVID. So uh, there is an enormous volume. Uh, so for the primary, we saw between 68 and 70 percent of the voters voting voted by absentee ballot. So you can see the enormous increase, and that is straining our system, no question about it. So as of Friday, towns began to mail out absentee ballots for people who sent in their applications already. How many uh, ballot requests have been processed to date, Denise? Uh, as of last week, about 476,000 have been wow. uh, requested by applications that we mailed out mm -hmm. earlier. Uh, and they're still coming in. I, I would think that the rest of October, people will still be requesting absentee ballots. So who knows where we'll end up? I'm assuming around half a million. 
Now, coming up, we're going to hear from the women who lead the Connecticut Town Clerks Association, as well as the uh, president of the Registrars of Voters Association of Connecticut, to hear more about what's happening uh, on the ground. Uh, you mentioned uh, the number of people that voted by absentee ballot in our August primary. But uh, when we think about some of the lessons learned from the lead up to the primary, how have those uh, issues been resolved this time for the, the, the general election? Um, well, the first problem was that there was so little public information about filing absentee ballots. There was a lot of confusion, and I think we've got a lot more information now. People have been through it once. A lot of people thought they were going to get mailed a ballot, not the application only. So, And there's a lot of process that goes into all this. Uh, we did try to mail ballots centrally for the primary, but uh, knowing that that's that represents only about half of the registered voters because you had to be registered with a party to vote in the primary. We realized that trying to mail out 500 different ballot types from a central mail house was going to be really challenging. It was uh, hard enough that first time in the primary. So uh, we reverted to the, the usual system, which is that the town clerks uh, do all mailing of ballots. Usually they mail the applications as well when they're requested, but uh, we did do that part of it. So one thing we uh, learned was that with our system the way it is right now, it's better to just keep things local as much as possible, even though that did put an extra burden, I think, on the town clerks. Mm -hmm. So we uh, did mail out, uh, sent out a, a great deal of resources, shall we say, over $2 million we sent to the town so that they could hire extra staffing and whatever they needed. Uh, that still is a challenge, uh, but I think it's a better system now. And the public's mm. been through it once. So I think that's helped too. So unlike the primary, this time around, city and town clerks are responsible for the printing and mailing of the absentee ballots. So that money that you mentioned, can they use that to help offset the costs? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. In fact, that's the point. Um, we always, we're printing ballots the same way we always have. So don't forget, we have to be ready not only for a big volume of absentee ballots, but we have to be ready in case people decide at the end they'd rather vote in person. And so we kind of have to create a dual system, assuming that everyone makes a choice either way, because this is really just an option. Uh, the polling places have been also uh, made quite safe, I think. Uh, we provided funding for PPE and extra staffing for polling places as well. Uh, so, you know, I think that's the question is how you plan for all this when it's a first time, really, that we've tried to do this on a massive scale. You can join our conversation if you have a question about voting. We know a lot of you do. The number 888-720-9677. As Denise Merrill is here, the Connecticut Secretary of the State. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, we did hear from Jeremy who tweeted, what happens if you request an absentee ballot and then decide you want to vote in person instead? Aha, uh -huh, see? Just what I was saying. <laughs> I think people are not certain yet, in many cases, what they're going to do in the end, because it might depend on whether we have a big spike in COVID in the next few weeks. We're seeing already this can this disease can change in a, in a moment's notice. So uh, the answer to that is because of the many, many checks and balances we have, as long as you haven't actually filed and voted absentee, you are still able to go to the polling place. But of course, you have to discard the absentee ballot so it won't be used.
So uh, Caroline had also tweeted, she, you know, she wants to mask up and go in person, but she also requested an absentee ballot just in case, depending on what's happening uh, close to the election. And again, the uh, worry that people think that if you request the absentee ballot, it'll remove your name from the polling place. You're saying that's not correct. Requesting an absentee ballot will not remove your name. It's only if you send it back in. That's correct. And, and, and I want to mention something that's kind of a new, uh, new uh, program we have, which is a, a sort of rudimentary ballot tracking system. Many states have much more robust ballot tracking uh, devices, but we had to put it in place pretty quickly. But you now can go to myvote.ct.gov backslash lookup and look up your name and your address, and it will reflect there whether or not your absentee ballot request has been logged in by the local clerks. And then it will also uh, log in, in the end, if you return that ballot, it'll log in when it, when it gets logged in as received. And so I think there's a better way for people and voters to know whether their ballot's been sent back and, and received hence voted. Um, and that I think will save on the thousands of phone calls we were getting during the primary, both we and the local officials about, well, has my ballot gone in? I want to make sure that I, I voted and I sent it in, but I'm not sure about the mail and so forth. So I think it's, uh, it's best to know all that. And frankly, I would recommend everyone look up your name and address and make sure you're properly registered at that website. You just Put in your name, your address, and you can see what party you registered with, where you vote. And also, as I say, there'll be a place to track the absentee ballot. And can you repeat that website again, uh, Denise? Sure. Myvote.ct.gov backslash lookup. Now, it's it's hard to believe just a week ago, it was the uh, first 2020 presidential debate. Uh, everyone watching uh, remembers some of the claims President Donald Trump made about mail-in ballots. And I, I wanted to hear from you as our chief elections official, what are the questions you're getting now from uh, Connecticut residents who worry about their vote being counted if they choose to vote by absentee ballot? Yes, that, the worst thing about what uh, the president said that night was that your ballot is not safe. Your vote is not safe if you vote by absentee ballot. I just think that nothing could be further from the truth, honestly. Uh, we have, in Connecticut at least, I can only speak for Connecticut, but because there are different rules in many different states. But here we have many checks and balances, as you can witness from the fact that the first point is you have to request an absentee ballot. We do not mail ballots to every voter on the list, contrary to many other states. Uh, and then when your um, absentee ballot is received, um, the request is received, your ballot comes in two different envelopes. Uh, those envelopes are, you know, you vote, you put your ballot in the inner envelope and it is sealed and you sign it. And then you put that in an outer envelope and that envelope goes to the town clerk. Again, very local process, um, you know, right to your town. That town clerk will log in uh, the barcode that's on the outside. So again, another question I get is, is my information being revealed because it's on the outer envelope? It's a barcode, it is logged in. And that way we know exactly who requested that ballot. 
So I, I, there are many other processes after that also to ensure that your absentee ballot is recorded once, that you cannot vote again, because that is recorded on the lists mm. that we use on election day. So, um, and, and there are ways that we have of tabulating results on election day that mean that those results uh, will reflect when your absentee ballot is counted. Therefore, you can't come in on election day and vote again. So we've been doing this since 1832. Uh, I think everyone can feel safe and secure with their ballot. Now, we have had questions about the Postal Service. I'm not sure I can guarantee that if you have less than, let's say, five days to mail your ballot back, that it surely will get there. So we have encouraged people to use ballot boxes, which are terrific. They are outside of every town hall. And so if you really want to be sure that your ballot arrives, drop it in the ballot box and the clerks uh, pick them up and I can they can speak to how often that happens. I think it's pretty much every day now. And so I think these raising these fears of, you know, uh, ballot, ballots being thrown in the river and so forth is very unfortunate because all it does is make people distrust their elections. And honestly, I don't think there's any reason to distrust any of this. Uh, it's it's very well managed. Now, because of the unprecedented number of absentee ballots that town clerks uh, uh, will be sending out and also logging into the centralized voting registration system, can you talk about where the work, the, the primary work, work should be happening? I, I'm referencing a, a story that Hearst, Connecticut did where a Hamden town clerk, uh, Vera Morrison, uh, her office had handled more than 47, uh, 4,750 requests. So she brought mailing labels home and asked her family family to help out. And I'm wondering when you hear about that, because again, there's so much work that needs to be done and they maybe can't get it done in a work day. Should town clerks be taking that that work home to finish? Uh, what would you say, Secretary of the State, Merrill? Well, I'm not sure it's that uh, big a problem if you're simply labeling mm -hmm. at home. But I mean, right now we're using volunteers. We're using mm -hmm. all kinds of people to help us facilitate the, the uh, processing end. Don't forget, this is just processing of all the paperwork that we have in place to get these ballots to people, to get the applications out and get them back. Uh, none of that is, is uh, worrisome in the sense that, you know, the tabulation, everything we do that, that is about your actual ballot is done on election day. Uh, and we haven't changed that except to allow, I guess, the registrars can open the outer envelopes now to sort of mm. facilitate some of this. And that'll happen um, you know, four I days think, prior, the opening sorry, of the yes, outer envelope. Yeah, Friday night, they're they're able to open the outer envelope only, which of course does not contain your ballot directly. Your ballot is still sealed inside the inner envelope, um, but it, it's one step we could take away from election day. Because the worry is, if you have to do all of this on election day, and and I, I want to remind people that absentee ballots are counted the exact same way other ballots are. In other words, they're run through those same tabulators that are used for regular, you know, in-person voting. Uh, so that means there's an awful lot to do on election day. And there is, of course, some concern that, you know, election day could go on and on if we can't get everything counted in time. Um, and so, so there was uh, the recent legislation allows the uh, registrars to open the outer envelope in advance. So that's just one step they won't have to do on election day. Uh, and they will open those on Friday, starting Friday, if they wish to. I mean, some towns, I would 
bet to that probably at least half the towns are very small and are going to be able to work on all this just fine. Uh, it'll be easier for them to accomplish what they need to accomplish in a small town, I think. You know, the larger cities will have more of a challenge. Uh, but it's, um, I, think, I think we're in a good place here in terms of getting everything done. And I don't think people should worry about that part of it. Again, Connecticut Secretary of the State Denise Merrill is here on Where We Live to answer your voting questions, whether it's about absentee ballots or even going to vote in person, if that is your choice. The number 888-720-9677. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Steve is calling in from Goshen. Steve, you're on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Secretary Merrill, for some very helpful information. Um, as we've seen early voting proceed around the country, there have been uh, cases of armed militia groups showing up menacingly uh, outside of polling places. I'm wondering uh, what steps you and other officials in Connecticut are taking to prevent uh, this kind of voter intimidation in Connecticut. Oh, thank you for the question. You know, when you when you think about what keeps me up at night, that might that might be one of them. Um, and we are taking steps to ensure that we don't have that kind of disruption at our polling places. I would say we, I have never seen an example of that in Connecticut uh, in the past, but we are certainly prepared and we have been for years. We have a uh, working relationship with the uh, law enforcement agencies uh, such as the FBI and now the Department of Homeland Security, because of course, as many of you know, there have been other uh, forms of, dis of attempted disruption of our elections uh, through Russian interference, uh, trying to get into our voter registry, perhaps change data, we don't really know. Uh, so we're, we have an ongoing communication structure with these law enforcement agencies if they anything gets reported, we have a hotline on election day. Any citizen can call in and raise questions about any kind of behavior at the polling places. Uh, this is strictly forbidden in Connecticut by state law, and we are already uh, preparing. We've done some exercises even with the um, um, very the groups that we work with uh, to try to try to anticipate if we have any of this sort of thing, what we would do and how we would react. I also have a volunteer program with attorneys around the state who uh, it's been in place for many years. Uh, and my volunteer attorney program has about a hundred attorneys who have agreed to um, go. If we hear something on our hotline, that there's some sort of disruption in a polling place or uh, people pretending to be law enforcement agents and that sort of thing, uh, that they would be able to go and ascertain if there's really anything damaging or harmful going on at a polling place. Uh, so we're just, it's just sort of an extension of what we always do on election day. We do that, we're poised for this every year. Uh, and I guess we're on higher alert this year as a result of some of the things you've seen. Leanne's calling in from Kent. Leanne, what's your question? Hi, thank you for taking my call. I'm so glad you're doing this show. We all have questions. <laughs> um, mine has to do with the signature requirement um, on the uh, absentee ballot. Um, I just received mine in the mail the other day, and um, the mailing label just has my first name and my last name, but I do have a middle name, and when I typically sign my name, sometimes I spell out my middle name, sometimes I put my middle initial in. 
Um, but I'm just wondering, when I go to sign the ballot, given that the mailing label only has my first and last name, should I sign it using only my first and last name? Can I put my middle initial? Can I spell out my whole middle name? I don't want to invalidate my ballot because I've put extra or not put enough <laughs> So, on the signature. Good question. Yes. Okay, uh, yes, you don't need to worry. Uh, in Connecticut, we do not use a signature matching protocol per se. And so you don't need to worry if you signed up 20 years ago and your signature has changed and all that. We use the signature to just verify who you are on the voter list. Um, and so I know I get this question a lot because some states do use that kind of a protocol, mostly states who have vote by mail as their only form of voting virtually. Uh, so we do not. Um, the signature is checked against the list just to make sure you are the person who's filing that ballot. So you don't need to worry about the signature. So just to clarify, if she were to put her middle initial, but her middle initial is not on the mailing label, not on the absentee ballot, she, her ballot will not get uh, disqualified. Correct. Good to know. You can add your question again uh, or ask your question to uh, Connecticut Secretary of the State Denise Merrill here on Where We Live. Here's the number, 888-720-9677. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. We'll be back right after a short break. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Got a voting question? Did you request an absentee ballot but haven't made up your mind whether you'll vote in person? Or maybe you already dropped off or mailed the ballot back to your town clerk. We want to hear from you today. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Now, we interrupted our pledge drive this hour to make sure we did not lose time in the hour to take your calls, your questions about voting in November. You can still support WNPR anytime by going online to WNPR.org. My guest today on Zoom, Denise Merrill, Connecticut Secretary of the State. In just a few minutes, we're we're going to hear from Anna Posniak, town clerk in Windsor, Connecticut. She's also president of the Connecticut Town Clerks Association. But I, I wanted to ask uh, uh, Secretary of the State Denise Merrill. Uh, Miriam called in and she wanted to know, how are people being reminded to fill in the absentee ballot correctly? Can you walk us through the steps? Yes, and I was going to mention that after the last call that the um the things that will disqualify your absentee ballot, and I'll walk you through the steps just so you understand. Um, when you get your absentee ballot, it will have two envelopes. Um, there's a smaller one that we call the inner envelope, and it'll have a lot of writing on it and a place for you to sign. Uh, and then there's the outer envelope, and then there's the ballot. So the ballot is anonymous. You do not put your name on your ballot. You simply fill it out with the candidate of your choice. You fold it, you put it in the inner envelope. And then there's two things that will disqualify your ballot. If you don't sign the inner envelope, you will be disqualified because we won't know for sure who sent that in. And if you don't seal that envelope for the same reason, uh, we it could have been tampered with if it's not sealed. Also, you cannot put 
more than one ballot in the inner envelope. We have had that happen occasionally, thinking that maybe they're saving time or postage or something. Uh, no, only one ballot in the inner envelope must be sealed, must be signed. Then it's placed in the outer envelope, which has the barcode on the outside so that the clerks or the registrars, the clerks log in the, um, the absentee ballot as having been received. And that way, um, that way the, the actual anonymity of your ballot is preserved, but also we can make sure that the same person sent that ballot back. Then you would mail that ballot back in the outer envelope, and that would be on the outside. And it should be postage paid uh, if it's in the uh, newer envelopes that we used. And that way you can just simply drop it in the mail or the ballot boxes, which will, of course, if you can get down to town hall and drop it in the ballot box, it's quicker. And time is of the essence this year. You know, the ballots probably are just being received now because of our timeline in Connecticut on ballots. Uh, so, you know, you don't have a lot of time to mail it back. So mail it back quickly if you're going to mail it or uh, drop it in the ballot box. It will be then received by the town clerk who will scan in the barcode on the outside of the envelope and then it is deemed received. George is calling in from Woodbury. George, what's your question? Hi, uh, I have a question. I just filled mine out and sealed it all up and I'm just sitting on my table ready to go. But um, I had some concerns and something that was just said about um, that town clerks have the option of looking at opening these things up, the outside envelope before election day or not. And I, I would guess that that whole envelope, two envelope thing is to make sure that they can write down that I've already voted. And if they don't do that, what's to stop me, if I were a nefarious character, from showing up on voting day and voting a second time? How do you, I would think that the envelope was critical to that thing there. Uh, yes, thanks for the question. No, because the outer envelope is the one that has the logged in, in the, for lack of a better word, you would be logged in with the barcode that's on the outer envelope. So that envelope becomes unnecessary to the actual processing of the vote because it's already logged in. So in other words, once they receive that uh, ballot and they scan that barcode um, and it goes onto the list, that will be printed on election day next to your name. So uh, I'm not sure exactly what it looks like, but when, when they print out, we still have paper lists on election day at the polling places. There will be a little AB somewhere next to your name, which indicates you have already voted AB. So you would not be allowed to vote again. I wanted to bring into the conversation Anna Posniak. She is the town clerk in Windsor, Connecticut, also president of the Connecticut Town Clerks Association. Anna, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. Good morning, Lucy and Secretary Merrill. Um, thank you for inviting me to participate in this important discussion today. A flurry of activity uh, for town clerks around the state who are also responsible for, for other duties uh, now uh, sending out uh, these absentee ballots for people who turned in these absentee ballot applications earlier. And then uh, lots of questions. Again, uh, we just heard from a, a listener about the inner envelope, outer envelope. Uh, so tell us with this new law that was signed uh, just Friday, I believe, how that will help town clerks do the work when these ballots come back uh, to you and to make sure uh, that nothing happens uh, to these votes before they're counted. 
So the new bill will allow towns to have the option um, four days ahead of the election to begin opening only the outer envelope. Um, we will remove the inner envelope and then from there, um, those envelopes would be secured until election day. And at 6 a.m. on election day is when um, the counters who the registrar voters hire would then open those inner envelopes and begin the process of inserting the ballots into um, the tabulators, much like voters do at the polls. So um, the law really assists the registrar voters with um, tabulating the results on election day. Um, it really doesn't assist the town clerks with processing ahead of the election. And what are you hearing from uh, town clerks around the state now that this law has been passed, as well as just the process uh, as we get ready for November 3rd, Anna? So there have been many questions about regarding the bill, and we're waiting to hear from the Secretary of the State's office um, regarding procedures on how we handle those ballots if a town does decide um, to utilize the bill to assist with um, uh, being able to process the ballots on election day more efficiently. Uh, Secretary of the State, uh, Denise Merrill, uh, Jake tweeted at us, if we send in our mail-in ballot in a timely manner and it's rejected for whatever reason, are we notified so then they can vote in person? Uh, what's the, how is that built into this bill, if at all? Um, it is sort of built into the bill in the sense that once you open that outer envelope and let's say someone forgot to sign it, just as an example, the inner envelope that is, uh, if there's time, and I, I think this is not a requirement, but if there is time, many, many town clerks will try to call you and let you know that your ballot has needs curing, what we call curing. Um, that only works if you have, when you fill out the application, there is a place to put your phone number and your email address. Now, if you haven't put those on the application, they would have no way of contacting you. So if there is a way to contact you, they will do that. We actually have had not that many um, mistakes of that kind made in Connecticut in the past. But of course, like we said, only 5% of people were using absentee ballots. So um, we will, of course, attempt to cure ballots that are either unsealed or um, or have, you know, missing a signature or anything like that. But uh, we don't always catch it. Uh, Anna Posniak, uh, again, we're hearing that uh, town clerks have been sending out uh, these ballots uh, starting, I think, October 2nd. So when somebody sends in their application, maybe they haven't done it yet, and they're like, you know what, I'm going to vote absentee. How soon should they expect to receive their actual ballot? So in accordance to Public Act 20-03, we now have 48 hours to process absentee ballot applications. I can assure all voters across the state that town clerks are processing the ballots, or excuse me, the applications rather, as quickly as they come in. They're not waiting the full 48 hours. And then from there, we mail the ballots to the voters. So um, voters need to know that the post office takes two to three days to mail local mail. So it could take anywhere from two to four days before they receive their ballot. Mm. And uh, given, again, uh, then the number of ballots that are going to be coming back, can you talk a little bit about how uh, this federal money that's gone to towns uh, such as uh, Windsor and others, how that would help uh, town clerks and others uh, do their work by helping to process, uh, considering uh, the, the more that you have on your plate this time around? 
Absolutely. So um, town clerks across the state are utilizing the grant funds um, to hire additional staff people to come in. Uh, we use the money to purchase uh, new computers. We purchased um, printers, label printers. Each one of the envelopes has two separate labels that we need to um, affix to the envelopes. We have been buying um, filing cabinets um, just because the sheer volume of applications we have we don't have anywhere to store them. So something that's as simple as a filing cabinet we need to purchase. Um, all the absentee ballots that are going out in the mail um, have to have postage on them. And so it's at 65 cents each. So the towns um, are paying for those at the local level. Um, but I would say the bulk of the uh, money is being used for staff to help with processing the high volume of applications we are currently receiving. Mm. Uh, Denise Merrill, you mentioned earlier uh, that people have been volunteering and I'm just wondering what the training process is like to help towns across our state process these ballots. Well, um, you know, I would ask Anna, but basically the volunteers are being used, I'm sure, in different ways. And thank goodness we have people stepping up to do volunteering, not, not just with the processing of the ballots, but also on Election Day itself, because I do think we are going to need extra help. Uh, but again, this is all managed locally. Um, the clerk or, or registrars in that particular town are the ones that decide exactly what kind of help they need and how they train them to do it because it's done in different ways in different towns. A large city, for example, might have a very large office and a very large staff and have more, more equipment, more printers, more file cabinets, more space, that sort of thing. Uh, and then on the other hand, some towns, you know, space is a huge issue right now, I'm sure, because town halls were virtually closed for a while, but also, um, you know, if you suddenly have to process thousands of ballots in a, let's say, a mid-sized town, um, where are you going to do all that? You know, if you you can't really take over town hall. So, uh, you know, space, I think, is a big issue. Is that right, Anna? I, I'm just guessing here, but I can imagine that's the case. That is correct. Space is uh, an issue for every single town. Um, it's fortunate that many of the town halls are still closed. Um, some of our larger, um, like for instance, West Hartford has taken over their entire council chambers um, with setting up all of their um, part-time staff that they can that are assisting with processing the over 15,000 absentee ballots that have gone out in the mail already. So space is absolutely an issue because we do have to be certain that we are maintaining social distancing and we need to keep all of our election workers healthy and safe. Priscilla's calling in from West Hartford. Priscilla, what's your question? Hi, thank you. Um, I have requested and received an absentee ballot, um, but I really would like to vote at the polls. Um, I do have a medical condition that makes me concerned about COVID. So what I was hoping to do was to go to the polls on the day of the election and see how the line was, see what the weather is like. And then if I wasn't able to stay and vote, then to slip my ballot into the box at the town hall. And I'm wondering, how late can I put my ballot in that box and have it be counted? Denise? Uh, if, if that's for me, uh, you have until 8 o'clock to drop that absentee ballot in the ballot box, and it will be counted. 
Uh, I, I like to take this opportunity to let people know that that's why we wait until eight o'clock to count all absentee ballots, because we want to make sure that someone doesn't vote twice. So the way we do that is uh, any ballot that's received on Election Day that didn't make the little A-B on the list um, is... Uh, Re, you know, uh, held aside. And then at the end of the night, it's compared against the list of people who did vote. And if someone has already voted, the, the absentee ballot is simply discarded. Uh, before we head to break, we did get a, an interesting comment on Facebook, Secretary of the State uh, Merrill. Lori writes, can you mention newly registered voters need to include a photocopy of their ID in the envelope? My daughter almost missed this detail. I'm thinking she may not be alone. Is this correct? Uh, say that again. Uh, uh, she uh, said that newly uh, registered voters need to include a photocopy of their ID in the envelope. I'm, I'm guessing she's talking about when she sends back the absentee ballot. Is that necessary? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. But I, I, I gather what she's talking about is sending in the application uh, is she talking about i i can't tell if she's talking about the voter registration itself because most of that is online uh and if you go to register to vote at this point most people go in person to their registrars um i get is she, I, I, i'm not clear on exactly what process she's talking about uh, i don't know if um i know sue larson's on the line she would probably know better than i how this is handled at the local level Okay, we'll uh, pose that question to Sue yeah, uh, I, after the yeah. break. Uh, but Anna Posnack, again, you're a town clerk. You head the uh, Town Clerk Association. Uh, anything else you want our listeners to know about the process and, and the work that town clerks are doing statewide? Um, I would like for the voters of Connecticut to be confident in the system and that town clerks will get the absentee ballots to all voters Anyone who wants to vote at the polls on election day, they're open and they're safe, but we are highly encouraging every voter in this state to have a backup plan. So um, request an absentee ballot ahead of time. You can hold on to that absentee ballot. And if you find yourself the week before the election being quarantined because you unfortunately came in contact with someone, you now have a ballot at your house that you can vote. If you do not vote or vote, uh, submit that ballot um, to the town clerk's office, you can go to the polls on election day. But please have a backup plan and do not delay. Um, please submit the applications early and then your voted ballots back to us um, early as well. That's Anna Posniak, town clerk in Windsor, Connecticut, also president of the Connecticut Town Clerks Association. Anna, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Denise Merrill, Connecticut Secretary of the State, will stay with us to answer your questions. We're also going to hear uh, from the woman who leads Connecticut's Registrars Association. Also, are you planning on voting in person? We'll find out more about how uh, you will stay safe as well as uh, election workers the day of the election. Uh, again, you can stay with us as we take your calls. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest today, Denise Merrill, Connecticut Secretary of the State, and also joining us now on Zoom, Sue Larson, Registrar of Voters in South Windsor, Connecticut, also President of Registrars of Voters Association of Connecticut. Sue, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to sharing this time with Secretary Merrill and um, all of you at NPR. Uh, we don't have too much time left, Sue, but tell us again, uh, we now have this law to help uh, the absentee ballots, the outer envelopes be uh, opened uh, four days prior to November 3rd. Can you talk about um, how the process has been going and what needs uh, to happen between now and November 3rd to help registrars of voters uh, do the best job possible? Well, right now, I think most of us are in the process of making sure we have enough poll workers. Um, The Secretary of the State and the Governor's Office have provided us with lists of volunteers um, that um, we're all looking at and calling and finding out if they're still willing to work and what their uh, capabilities are as far as um, are they can they work a full day? Are they um, offering time um, just later in the evenings? So we're putting our poll uh, worker list together. At the same time, we're double checking all of our um, PPE to make sure we have enough PPE for the um, poll workers. And the Secretary of the State's office did send us uh, a box of um, um, face masks, face shields, um, hand sanitizer um, for the poll workers. But um, at the same time, we're looking to make sure we have enough masks for the voters um, that we have um, the uh, some form of taping so that we can do social distancing. Some towns are using circles, others are using blue painters tape, uh, masking tape, all of that kind uh, to make sure mm-hmm. that when the poll worker does come to the uh, their polling locations, they can feel safe and secure that uh, we've done everything mm-hmm. possible for them. Sue, we did get a question from a listener who writes, if a person shows up at a polling place to vote November 3rd and they have their temperature checked before entering, how can they vote if their temperature is elevated and they're not allowed to enter the polling location? Well, we have a situation where um, it's it's called curbside voting. Um, It's used for temporary situations where a person cannot go into the poll. So what will happen is uh, two people will go out to the car and they'll be from opposite parties and they will um, get the information just as if the person went to the um, to the checker to to um, get their name and address. They'll verify that they're on the voter list, then come back with a, um, a ballot and the, per, um, the voter will then fill out the ballot and then it will be taken back into the polling location and inserted into the tabulator. Do you need more volunteers? What are you hearing from other registrars, Sue? Um, I think at this point, um, if you're still thinking about um, volunteering, please call your local um, registrars and offer your name because we don't know how COVID's going to be when uh, come November. And if there's a spike, we may need all those extra um, people to come in and fill in for those that are sick and can't make it to the polls. Denise Merrill, are you also hearing from people who want to volunteer? Are you directing them to the specific town they live? 
Uh, we actually have a very active volunteer recruitment program. Uh, we've been working with, uh, for example, the Bar Association uh, to get attorneys and law students to volunteer to help out. Uh, the governor's office has a website. We've been directing people to that volunteer website. Uh, but we also have been telling people you know, to volunteer with their local officials because the registrars are the ones that organize election day in each town. Um, on the other hand, some people, you know, would volunteer perhaps to work in a different town besides the one they live in, you know, because th that'll be, uh, so that's a process that we're trying to go through. But again, it's mostly uh, we're telling people, contact your local registrars to volunteer on election day itself. There are many jobs that can be done. And actually the colleges and universities across the state have also uh, uh, allowed their students to have the day off on election day so that they can go help out at the polls. And I think that's great because I think, you know, we need to encourage the next generation to participate in election day. And it's a great way to help out. Michael's calling from Cromwell. Michael, what's your question? Hi, uh, yes, yeah, so my uncle who's 99 is in assisted living. He's blind. Uh, who is uh, authorized to fill out his uh, his ballot? Can I do this? Does it have to be someone from the town or within the assisted living facility? Um, it's a it's a very uh, tough situation right now because so few people are allowed into the assisted living um, homes. But uh, someone can give a family member permission to help them with their ballot. Uh, it has to be written permission, and there's a space for that um, on the document itself. Um, but other than that, you can, uh, you can give permission to certain other people. And I think one of them probably are the people in the nursing home. But that's very carefully handed. We really prefer it be a family member. I don't know, Sue, if you want to comment on that, because... Um, Normally, we have what we call supervised absentee balloting at the uh, nursing homes. And because we're not able to do that, we had to make special arrangements this year. Sue? Yeah, I was just going to add, because um, as uh, Secretary Merrill said, we normally do supervised absentee balloting and take care of it. But under COVID, we have not been able to go into the uh, nursing homes. So we've recommended to the nursing homes that um, it be family members that help the um, help their uh their family member out and they'll just on the application just sign at the bottom that they're they're the ones that are assisting them and then um, when the ballot comes it's the same person that signed um, the absentee ballot that helps them out so that it makes it easier for the nursing home to know who's um, helping them out. Uh, Sue Larson, we just have about four minutes left. Uh, we're getting questions from listeners who worry about if their ballot gets rejected. I believe uh, before uh, this bill was signed into law, there was some uh, provision uh, to if a ballot was able to be um, looked at in terms of the, the signatures, that there'd be a way to contact the person to avoid their ballot getting rejected. Is that still the case? Uh, no, I don't believe that's the case. Uh, and that's going to be because of the fact that this is optional mm. as to whether or not you're opening up um, the um, outer envelope, since some towns are going to be doing everything on Election Day and some towns are doing things. Uh, some of the cities and the larger towns are starting to do that um, on a um 
on either Friday night, Saturday, or sun Sunday, Monday, however they decide to do it, depending on the number of the uh, of the ballots, um, it'd be kind of hard to say, well, one town's doing it and calling people and another town's not. So I believe all of us are going to be doing, doing it um, consistently. We're, if it's unsigned, it's under the normal um, circumstances where the voter will not know. So it's important to remember to sign uh, where Correct. you're supposed that's, to. That's the mm-hmm. bottom line. The, the voter needs to take the responsibility, slow down, do it nice and, um, mm-hmm. and slowly, read the directions mm-hmm. and do everything possible to follow the directions. Mm-hmm. Denise Merrill, again, there's a flurry of activity, a lot of interest in absentee ballots this year. And, you know, I just want to leave on this note when we we think about making voting as easy as possible. uh, Connecticut still lags behind other states because we don't have early voting. These are other measures that could help make this system a little bit easier for people to vote. Yeah, there's quite a few smaller things we can do, but I have been an advocate for what we call no-fault absentee ballots for many years, as well as for early voting. Our problem in Connecticut is that these require a constitutional amendment to our state constitution, and that takes years to accomplish unless you get a 75% vote in the legislature, which we have not gotten yet. So uh, barring some constitutional amendment for early voting and no-fault absentee balloting, which effectively would allow us to do what we're doing this year uh, into the future, and that can't happen, uh, we could do, for example, a bill that was raised last year and didn't didn't pass ultimately, which is at least let us do um, – a sort of electronic email version of an application. Uh, I don't think we should have to mail applications uh, on paper. People should be able to request them electronically and get one back via email. Uh, So that we still have not been able to do. We'd have to set up a system for that, for example. Uh, But we are kind of stuck in Connecticut without these other measures until we get a constitutional amendment and put these rules in statute where I think they belong. And uh, before we run out of time, someone did call in. We didn't have time to get to them. If Can you withdraw your absentee ballot once it's submitted, Denise Merrill? Uh, you can uh, under extreme circumstances, um, and that is allowed. Yes, you'd have to go in person, I guess, to request uh, that your ballot back. Um, and I've had that question a lot recently. Obviously, there's been concern about who's going to be on the ballot. Sometimes we have candidates withdraw and so forth. Uh, It is difficult, but it is possible. We'll we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Denise Merrill, again, Connecticut Secretary of the State. We thank you for your time today, as well as uh, Sue Larson, again, Registrar in South Windsor, head of the Association for Registrars of Voters here in Connecticut. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.